We ask, Father, that you would purify your church, that you, Lord, would grant in this hour of testing that those who have no true allegiance to Christ would be exposed, that those who are compromising would be exposed and moved to repentance, and that those who are stalwart in the faith would be encouraged and strengthened and press on in the service of their King, walking in the light of your word. We pray, Lord, that you might be pleased to grant repentance to Alistair Begg and turn him back from this great step of apostasy that he has taken, this egregious capitulation to Satan's deceptions, this door that he has opened to hell and invited Christ's church to go through with him. We pray, Lord, you protect your church from this false teaching. And we pray that Alistair Begg again would find repentance and not arrive at the position of apostasy and false teacher. We pray that men of God, pastors and elders, would stand with strength and courage and speak truth with love. Love foremost for Christ. Secondly, for the body of Christ as a whole. And then for Alistair Beck. We pray that the cries for silence, for apathy, and worse, to join him in capitulation would be rebuked. We pray, Lord, that truth would prevail, that truth would triumph for your glory, for the blessing of your church, and for the salvation of the lost. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19. The title of today's message is Abominable Counsel. Abominable Counsel. Subtitled, Biblically Addressing Alistair Begg's Moral and Theological Capitulation. Why preach this sermon? Why bring public correction to a 70-year-old Scottish gentleman preacher with an amazing accent and a widely trusted global Bible teaching ministry? Why warn and exhort our local church, Christian leaders, pastors, and the body of Christ at large? Why preach this sermon? Here's why. Alistair Begg used his widely trusted, highly influential, global Truth for Life ministry to open the hellish Pandora's box of Romans 118-32 apostasy in the conservative, biblical, reformed Christian world. He capitulated morally and theologically on the battlefield where Satan is fighting most fiercely against the precious lives and souls of girls, boys, women, and men. He has refused to recant his teaching. He has doubled down and tripled down in his defense of his moral and theological corruption, accusing pastors and Christians who have brought correction to him of being Pharisees who very likely have the same sexual perversion in their own hearts that they would like to act upon. Alistair Begg's capitulation and accusational defense will have far-reaching effects on the church as a whole. Individual churches, pastors, grandparents, parents, children, girls, 
boys, women, and men who are perishing under Satan's global, perverse rebellion and deception. Every pastor, every pastor, should be speaking to this issue with full 1 Timothy 5.19 and 2 Timothy 3.16-4.5 through 4, 5, strength and clarity. This is the battle of our day. We cannot retreat. We cannot be silent. We must stand up and speak the Lord's word in the power of the Lord's spirit. 1 Timothy 5, 19-20 Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. Alistair Begg is an elder. He is a pastor. He has made himself a pastor to pastors. He's made himself a pastor to the church of Jesus Christ with his global truth for life Bible teaching ministry. Alistair Begg's sin, his moral capitulation, his theological capitulation, his assault upon grandmothers and their grandsons is very public. It is undeniable. It is irrefutable. Thus, we are not receiving an accusation against an elder without witnesses. There are millions of witnesses at this point. Everyone who heard his teaching is a witness. Everyone who heard his wicked defense of his teaching is a witness. Verse 20, those who are sinning, those who are sinning, Alistair Begg is sinning. He didn't just sin, he's in an ongoing state of sin. It's not something that can be forgotten. It's not something that we can pick up the carpet of grace and sweep beneath it. He is in an ongoing state of sin. He has opened the door of hell. And he's inviting Christ's church to go through. Those who are sinning. He's not just sinning, saints. He, he didn't just capitulate on a minor moral issue. He didn't just capitulate on a minor theological issue. He has capitulated in the place where Satan's war against God and mankind is raging. It's the battle. Of our day. It's the Psalm 2, Romans 1, epic global battle. And there he has capitulated, but not just capitulated personally, not just capitulated as a pastor of his own church. He has capitulated on a global level and he has taught the entire church to capitulate morally and theologically with him. And he's gone a step further. He's rebuked those who won't. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. I'm standing before God and men today in the local church, rebuking Alistair Begg and every other man who makes himself an enemy of grandmothers and their grandsons, mothers and their children, Christ's church, Christ's word, Christ's law, Christ's gospel. And the souls of those men and women, boys and girls outside of the church, outside of the grace of God, who are perishing under Satan's deceptions in this very sin. Yes, I stand before God and men today, rebuking those men and calling them to repentance out of love for Jesus 
and love for all those I just mentioned, and love for Alistair Begg. It is unloving, ungracious, and unkind to do anything other than to rebuke Alistair Begg before all. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. Those who are AWOL in the day of battle, absent without leave. Wait a minute, Alistair Begg's not AWOL. He has capitulated. He has compromised. He has to some level joined the other team and invited everyone else to join the other team. Because even if you, in his words, don't countenance the lifestyle choice in any way, but then you attend the wedding with a gift, you have countenanced it in every way. You have affirmed it. You have blessed it. You have honored it. You have celebrated it in every way. And all those who take Alistair's evil counsel make themselves hypocrites and liars as they claim they haven't in any way countenanced the lifestyle choices, which again is the most milk, toast, weak, unbiblical way of describing this sin and our disapproval of it imaginable. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. What's the goal? What's the goal? I would love to see Alistair Begg repent. I would love it. I would rejoice in it. But the goal, the primary goal, is not the restoration of Alistair Begg. The primary goal is the protection of the body of Christ. And that they would fear such deception. Oh, that God would compel John MacArthur, Phil Johnson, Mike Riccardi, Josh Weiss, Steve Lawson, Bodie Bauckham, and the rest of those who have stood before us for decades as would-be champions of the faith, and in many ways have been, oh, that they would stand today as champions, that they would speak what they ought to speak publicly, that the rest may also fear. You know what would be more powerful than any conference right now? For these men to stand up to cancel their conferences, and to stand up and rebuke Alistair Begg publicly, biblically, with grace and truth, that the rest may also fear. You see, there is a global apostasy taking place, a great falling away. And the idea is, when you rebuke those who are sinning, Others would fear falling into the same sin and suffering the same consequences. And so they would be compelled to guard their hearts. They would be compelled to turn back from any incremental compromises that have been going on in their own lives and ministries. But when we call for universal silence in the name of grace, when we condemn anyone who speaks out, who does dare to rebuke such an appalling compromise of the truth. Well, then we have not aligned ourselves with grace at all. We have not aligned ourselves with the Holy Spirit at all, but with the spirit of the age. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. 
The primary goal, the protection of the church universal. The primary goal, the protection of the local church. The primary goal is not the protection of the individual, not the protection of his reputation, not the protection of his ministry, not the protection of his opportunity to sell books or speak at conferences for fees. No, for the protection of the body of Christ, that the rest also may fear. You see, when someone as trusted, as aged, as respectable, as grandfatherly, speaks these lies of the devil with his beautiful Scottish accent, that is a powerful, compelling force in the body of Christ for apostasy, to depart from the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, verses 4 through 5. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We seem to have forgotten that, that this Holy Spirit-inspired word is useful, and we should use it in the ways that God has prescribed for doctrine. And Alistair Begg has assaulted fundamental tenets, fundamental doctrines of the faith. We'll get to those specifically later. For reproof, for correction. Oh, He desperately needs correction. All those defending him desperately need correction. All those joining him desperately need correction. He desperately needs, after doubling and tripling down, rebuke publicly before all. After daring to rebuke those who would rebuke him, he needs the strongest of rebukes. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. It's out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I aim to convince. And if you won't be convinced or you oppose the truth that you must be convinced of, I aim to rebuke. And I aim to exhort the convinced to continue to be convinced. Because God commands me to. That's preaching. Many men think preaching is simply standing up as a mild-mannered, milk-toast man to give a mild-mannered Bible lesson that you can take or leave. We're not giving Bible lessons. We're preaching the Word. Which, of course, is a Bible lesson. But it comes with the authority of God. It even comes with some level of volume. Some level of passion. You see the apostles of old. You see the Lord Jesus stand and raise their voice. You see passion in their preaching. They're not unimpassioned. Their heart is in it. They love God. They love the saints of God. They love the lost, perishing sinners. And they speak as if they do. They speak as if these things matter. They speak as if truth matters and that truth must triumph. Thus they preach in such a way as to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, Alistair Begg, and all those supporting him and protecting him and calling for silence. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers named Alistair Begg, and they will turn their ears away from the truth 
and be turned aside to fables. And hear me, when a crack like this opens, it's just the beginning. It's a massive crack and it will grow ever wider unless God's men stand up with strength and courage and genuine love, not that fake stuff that's being slopped around out there. Genuine love. The time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers that say, Grandma, go to that transgender wedding. Watch your son kiss a man in a dress and take them a gift in Jesus' name. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Oh, that's not just a fable. That's a nightmare. That's a horror story. Grandma, go watch that horror story unfold before your eyes. Go bless it with a gift and your attendance and wear a pretty dress. How profoundly evil. Verse 5, but you be watchful in all things. Why must I preach this message? Be watchful in all things. How could I be silent in this day, in this hour, in this issue? Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Why preach this sermon? There's a Psalm 2, Romans 1, perverse satanic global uprising and apostasy taking place that threatens to swallow each one of you, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your grandparents, your church, your pastor, your friends, and your neighbors. It has already swallowed many that we know. Hear me, Alistair Begg has attacked people I love. Parents and children that I love with this abominable counsel. This is personal. These are real people, real lives. And his evil counsel will be used against them for the further destruction of their children. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. For the sake of time, we'll stop there. But that's the global uprising. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, biblical vocabulary, in the lusts biblical vocabulary of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies, biblical concept, among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God also gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. 
Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Alistair Begg counseled Grandma to attend the wedding with a gift, put on her pretty dress, and to approve of those who practice them. As long as she has made clear in the past at some point in a very bland way that she does not in any way countenance her grandson's lifestyle choice. That is evil. That is a massive capitulation. That is a massive leap of apostasy. A departure from the truth, from the faith. That is our introduction. First point, bad counsel. Bad counsel. It's not just bad counsel. It's evil counsel. And it will bear evil and incredibly destructive fruit. It's not just bad counsel. It's bad doctrine. It's destructive false teaching. It's an assault on biblical morality and fundamental Christian doctrines. For the sake of clarity, Alistair Begg used his radio ministry to teach Christians everywhere, Christ's church, grandparents, parents, siblings, cousins, friends, etc., to go to abominable fake weddings where their grandchildren, children, nephews, nieces, friends, etc., are acting out their perverse rebellion against God and calling God's eternal judgment down on their souls. Bad counsel. Wicked counsel. Foolish counsel. Appalling, shocking counsel. Again, Romans 1, 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they are calling the death penalty down upon themselves like Sodom and Gomorrah before them at this wedding. And everyone there applauding it is calling a death penalty upon themselves physically, spiritually, eternally. And Alistair says, go to the wedding. And he has the audacity to mention that the woman, the grandmother, was shocked. I'm shocked. Every genuine Christian should be shocked and incensed, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's fine to go to the wedding and to give your approval for your attendance, and that's what your attendance is. That's what your gift giving is. As long as you have at some time made it clear that you do not in any way countenance his lifestyle choice. Alistair Begg, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. 
Alistair Begg taught us all clearly that all we need to do is communicate that we in no way countenance their lifestyle choices and then we can and should go to our children's and grandchildren's trans weddings with gifts. This, in actuality, makes grandparents and parents hypocrites and liars as they very mildly communicate that they can't in any way countenance, Alistair's word, their lifestyle choices, and then they powerfully contradict their words entirely by attending the God-hating wedding ceremony and honoring their abominable marriage with a gift. Whether Alistair and those who egregiously compromise with him want to admit it or not, attending the wedding and bringing a gift is undeniably giving approval to those who practice them. Romans 1.32 I need to remind you, that God-hating and abominable are biblical words and descriptions that help us keep our minds clear about what is taking place at such a wedding. Using biblical words and descriptions isn't harsh, judgmental, unkind, or unloving. It's essential. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion is light with darkness, and what accord is Christ with Belial, or what part is a believer with an unbeliever. Verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. If this ever, if this ever has application in our Christian lives, it has application at that abominable wedding, which is what makes Alistair Begg's counsel abominable counsel, straight from the pit of hell. Let God be true and every man a liar, even the 70-something-year-old grandfatherly Scottish-accented preacher. Oh, may God grant him repentance. Bad counsel. Secondly, bad look. Bad look. Most haven't really thought it through. They have not thought through what this looks like in reality. Bad look. It's not just a bad look. It's an evil look. It's a heart-wrenching, heart-breaking look. It's a stomach-churning look. I speak with knowledge and love of real people, real parents, and their real children. What is wrong with Alistair Begg? Any genuine Christian who thinks the American Family Radio ministry was unkind, unloving, uncharitable, judgmental, harsh, or unnecessarily divisive for removing Alistair Begg from their radio platform of over 3,000 radio stations needs to think again. They need to take a hard look with their mind's eye at what Alistair Begg counseled this grandmother to do and every grandmother with her and parent and cousin and niece and nephew and brother and on and on. They need to picture themselves standing up on the platform of the Antichrist Church, that's exactly what it is, at the front of the transgender antichrist wedding ceremony, that's what it is, facing the pews full of people gathered to affirm this unholy mockery of marriage, gathered to blaspheme the holy institution that God founded with Adam and Eve, a man and a woman bound in covenant before God and men. They need to see the Christian grandma sitting in a pew to their left in a pretty dress with a beautifully wrapped gift on her lap. They need to see her grandson standing next to a hideous, delusional, wicked man wearing lipstick and a white wedding dress that her grandson calls his bride. They need to see the God-hating, non-binary person officiating the wedding and whose 
God given male or female gender is impossible to discern until they speak. They need to hear the asexual pastor say, Speak now or forever hold your peace. And see grandma momentarily lose the non judgmental, truly happy facade of a smile she was working so hard to maintain. They need to see grandma's brief look of horror, pain, and guilt before she remembers Alistair Begg's warning about coming off as judgmental and dutifully forces a smile back on her face. They need to watch the sickening exchange of wedding vows that can only be described by the biblical word abominable. They need to hear the he-she fake pastor defy God, defy Holy Scripture, defy anatomy, defy DNA, and defy sanity. As he, she says, quote, I now pronounce you man and wife, you may kiss the bride. They need to see grandma's body momentarily convulse at the sight of her grandson kissing a man in a dress at the altar. They need to see grandma give the beautifully wrapped gift to her grandson and the man in the wedding dress as she dutifully blesses their soul-damning marriage with the gift of a Bible, as Alistair clarified in that Sunday night sermon. I was thinking of a Bible, as if that makes it better. They need to see Grandma wince during the first dance at the reception when her grandson and his hideous man-bride kiss passionately, exchanging what the Bible calls abominable, unnatural, vile passion. Are you seeing this? They need to see Grandma throwing rice at the happy couple as he and his revolting man-bride get in their rainbow-decorated car with just married written all over it to drive off for their honeymoon to celebrate their marriage union, their perversion, and their hatred of God. Oh, it's a bad look. That's the real look at what Alistair Begg told Grandma and every other Christian to participate in. And it's evil. Third point, bad defense. Bad defense. It's not just a bad defense. It's an evil defense. And it will bear evil and profoundly destructive fruit. Alistair Begg preached a whole sermon last Sunday night to defend his evil counsel. They say the best defense is a good offense. Alistair put a compromised Christian spin on that. He has taught us that the best defense is to go on the offense by twisting Scripture to defend his false teaching, by accusing those who expose and oppose his false teaching of being legalistic Pharisees, and by adding one further and particularly nasty defensive tactic of accusing those who say his counsel to Christian grandmothers is appalling, of likely harboring their own secret sexual perversion that is somehow motivating them to be so harsh and judgmental. His sermon was titled Compassion versus Condemnation. And here's the description sermon up on his website. How are Christians to walk the fine line between affirming and reviling those whose actions declare them to be God's enemies? That is the question Alistair Begg seeks to answer as he addresses the controversy surrounding the counsel he gave to a grandmother in the summer of 2023. That counsel just became public, just was aired a week or so ago on his Truth for Life radio ministry. Turning to Luke 15, Alistair reminds us that the inclination toward Phariseeism is alive and well within all our hearts. It is something we must guard against, especially 
as we press on toward purity and holiness in the midst of an aimless and confused generation. It's audacity upon audacity. It's mind-boggling, the blindness here. Sin is making them blind, not just Alistair, his whole ministry. They're all complicit. At this time, we're going to play a brief clip from Alistair Begg, where he accuses all those who oppose his wicked counsel of being Pharisees and secretly having the same sinful desires in their hearts. Pharisees often complain loudly of sins they would be quite interested in committing themselves. Be very, very careful when you hear your pastor or your teacher or whoever it is lambasting a certain area of life, especially in the realm of morality. Time and time again you will discover that that loud protestation actually sadly, tragically proved to be a very thin smokescreen for what was actually going on in the hearts of these people. Alistair Begg added a wicked defense on top of his wicked counsel, accusing all of those who would do their duty to God and Christ's church and perishing sinners, who would love God and Christ's church and perishing sinners, who would love Alistair enough to speak the truth and bring correction, accusing them of being Pharisees, who very likely want to commit the same sins, and that's what's motivating them. He started with pastors, your pastor. So he's made himself a pastor to pastors and said, all you pastors, you should tell your congregants to go to wicked weddings, transgender weddings, to watch their children and grandchildren commit abominable acts and to bless it with gifts and your attendance. And if you pastors won't do it, if you pastors protest as much, loudly, then you're just Pharisees and likely harbor the same sins in your heart. Alistair Begg counseled a grandmother to go to her grandson's trans wedding with a gift. But she will watch her grandson act out as Romans 1, 18-32 perversion and hatred of God as he kisses the lipstick-wearing white dress-wearing man. Where she'll then hear her grandson and man, a man, pronounce man and wife. Where she'll then watch her grandson and the man in the dress that he keeps calling his wife drive off in a car with just married written in that back window. And then Alistair Begg defends it by accusing anyone who would oppose this evil counsel of being a Pharisee who likely is secretly entertaining their own perversion. Saints, I've written what I have thus far written on social media, sending it directly to all the men involved. And I'm preaching this sermon now out of love for Christ's church at large. Love for grandparents. Love for parents. Love for perishing girls, boys, women, and men caught up and the sexual rebellion raging in America and around the world. To do less would be apathy and hatred. To do this is not Phariseeism and somehow an admittance that I too would like to engage in these abominable sins. What a twisted, disgusting accusation. 
Alistair Begg is making against me and every other pastor like me, every other man of God like me, every other grandmother like me. Bad defense. Bad effects. Bad effects. Not just bad effects. Evil effects. Destructive effects. Family shredding effects. Life destroying effects. Soul damning effects. Church splitting effects. Ministry destroying effects. Alistair Begg's counsel sets children against their parents and grandparents. Oh, Alistair Begg said we should attend this. He said you as grandma and grandpa should attend this. So why can't I attend cousin so-and-so's wedding? Or why aren't you attending my wedding? Are you judgmental and harsh? Are you a Pharisee mom, dad, grandma, grandpa? Do you secretly harbor this same passion in your heart, grandma? That's what Alistair said. There are tragically few people thinking through the ramifications of what Alistair has said and done. We must think through this assault on biblical morality, on biblical theology, on Christ's church, and on families. Bad effects. Setting children against their parents and grandparents. Setting family members against family members. Because, hey, the godly grandma says, Alistair, God rebuke you. I'll have no part of helping Satan damn my grandson. No, no. And grandma righteously tells the rest of the family, hey, we're not, we're not attending this, right? We're Christians. We love Jesus. We love Johnny. And the majority of the family, and that's what it will be in most cases, the majority of the family says, oh, no, that would be unloving. That would be unkind. That would be ungracious. What kind of testimony would that be? No, we're going to attend. In fact, we're going to bring gifts. In fact, one of the premier global, respected, austere Bible teachers, pastors on the planet said we should attend and take gifts. And if we don't, we are judgmental Pharisees who likely harbor the same passions in our hearts. Grandma, are you okay? Is the spirit of judgmentalism come upon you? Are you harboring secret perversions in your heart, Grandma? Do you see the ramifications of this evil counsel? Bad effects. Setting family members against family members. Splitting families. Setting congregants against their pastors as their pastors stand upon the truth of God's Word and say, you do understand you cannot attend that wedding. If you love Jesus and you love them, you can't attend that wedding. In fact, that would be a church discipline issue. That would be profoundly evil. I can't just turn a blind eye to that. I can't allow that influence on others in the body of Christ. This council sets congregants against their pastors and vice versa. It sets pastors against their congregants. Alistair Begg said, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to counsel people to go. And righteous grandmothers and grandfathers and mothers and fathers and men and women and hopefully boys and girls, those who are truly born again from above with any kind of spiritual blip on an EKG will say, that's madness. That's evil. And their pastor will say, no, 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 no. Here, listen to this from Alistair Begg. 
Don't be a Pharisee. Young man, father, grandfather, church, are you harboring secret perversion in your hearts? Or is this just divisiveness and hatred? Bad effects. Setting children against their parents and grandparents. Setting family members against family members. Setting congregants against their pastors. Setting congregants against congregants. Splitting churches and families. Undermining the effectiveness of church discipline. You dare church discipline someone for that? Did you not hear Alistair Begg? What kind of a legalistic, pharisaical, probably pervert pastor are you? Do you see the Pandora's box of hell that Alistair has opened? Undermining the ministry of God's word. If this is, if this is how we treat this issue, oh, it changes everything. It changes everything. I, I don't have the time to show you everything it changes. But let us go to the next point. Bad theology. Not just bad. It's an authoritative rejection, repudiation, and blasphemy of the basic tenets of Reformed Calvinistic biblical Christianity, rightly described as apostasy. That does not mean Alistair Begg is damned. It means he's taken a large step away from the faith once for all committed to the saints. And if it continues in this direction, then yes, he, he will indeed be rightly warned that you have no reason to believe you are washed in the blood of the Lamb because you become a rebel against him. But it is rightly spoken of as apostasy, a massive step of apostasy. Alistair Begg audaciously and wickedly quoted James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. After teaching Christ's church, to go to abominable fake weddings where their grandchildren, children, nieces, nephews, friends, etc. are acting out their perverse rebellion and calling God's judgment down upon their souls. Alistair said grandma should attend that God-hating, Bible-blaspheming wedding in Sodom and take a gift. And then he reminded us all that not many should be teachers and that teachers will be strictly judged. That's how he sealed up his evil teaching by warning anyone that would oppose him of God's judgment. Don't you teach against this. I'm speaking like ex-cathedra here. I mean, after all, I'm a 70-plus-year-old Scottish preacher with an amazing accent. This comes, you know, like prophecy from the very throne room of God. And you oppose this, I'm warning you now. I mean, you almost sound like Benny Hinn, touch not the Lord's anointed. When, when Benny says something really nuts, really radical, really crazy... He'll often pull out the touch not the Lord's anointed to seal it up. Don't you, don't you come at me. Alistair did essentially the same thing to me as a fellow pastor and every other pastor and every other Christian. Don't you come at me. Don't you oppose this teaching. Don't you contradict my teaching. And you be careful what you teach. If you teach something other than this, if you teach that pharisaical stuff, that judgmental stuff, I'm warning you. You'll be held to a higher account. Not only did he teach bad theology, he sealed it up with a threat of judgment. What particular doctrines were attacked? How about the doctrine of sovereign grace? You see, he said you should do all this as an act of compassion, quote, unquote, lest they think you're judgmental. And so you can have an inroads for the gospel 
and for evangelism. So that's the justification for all this compromise. That is an assault upon the sovereignty of God. It's an assault upon sovereign grace. Alistair claims to be reformed. He claims to believe God is sovereign in salvation. And yet what he taught us to do at these abominable weddings is a complete contradiction of God's sovereign grace. If we believe God's sovereign grace, we don't need to attend the trans wedding, watch the grandson kiss a man in a dress, hear them pronounce man and wife, and bring a gift in order for them to get saved. Because God is sovereign in salvation. John 6.36, Jesus speaking, You have seen me, and yet you do not believe. How nice was Jesus? Perfectly nice. How loving was Jesus? Perfectly loving. How holy was Jesus? Perfectly holy. How wise was Jesus? Perfectly wise. And yet they saw him and did not believe. He had just, in John 6, done what? Fed them all. Fed them all. And yet they did not believe. He showed his perfect power, his miraculous power. And yet they did not believe. So was any of that the key to them believing? No. They must be elect. They must be predestined. They must be called. God must regenerate their dead souls and illuminate their blind eyes. You have seen me and yet you do not believe. John 6, 36. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me are by no means cast out. So they saw and yet didn't believe. And those whom the Father gives to Jesus will come and they'll not be lost. John 6, 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up at the last day. John 6, 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. There's a doctrine behind that called total depravity. And total depravity necessitates sovereign grace. No one can come to me. No one, he says. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. All the Father gives to me will come. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And so it's not grandma attending in her prettiest dress with a gift affirming this wicked wedding that draws them. It's not them thinking that grandma is non-judgmental that draws them. It's the sovereign grace that must draw them. And nothing that the Lord Jesus did practically, even though he did it perfectly, all of it, none of that drew them. It must be the sovereign grace of God. They heard his message. They witnessed his power. They received his love in the form of that meal, that miraculous meal, and yet they all denied him. We could go on on that point, but understand, Alistair Begg trampled beneath his unholy ungracious, unloving feet, the doctrine of God's sovereign grace. Secondly, the sufficiency of God's law. The sufficiency of God's law. Alistair said, no, God's law isn't sufficient. Compromise is sufficient. Approval is sufficient. Affirming is sufficient. Gift-giving is sufficient. Attending an abominable wedding that's no wedding at all 
It's an act of the perversion and hatred toward God. That is the power of God to salvation. What does God's word say regarding the sufficiency of God's law? Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. What does grandson need? The law of the Lord. Alistair Begg says, no, no. He needs grandma to attend his evil wedding so that he will think she's non-judgmental. God says, no, he needs the law. And what's the law going to tell him? That God is judgmental and judgment is coming. Is God concerned at all whether grandson caught up in his sin thinks grandma is judgmental? And is grandson thinking grandma is judgmental because she is faithful to deliver the law of God and to act according to it? Is that going to keep him for salvation? No, that's the power of God to salvation. Alistair flipped it on its head. Throw the law, the ministry of the law, both in word and deed, out. Compromise, affirm, make sure they don't think you're judgmental. That's the power of God to salvation. That's a lie of the devil. That's like the devil speaking directly through Alistair Begg. God's word is not true. Don't believe it. Do this instead. Participate in the spirit of the age. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is a tutor. Alistair says, no, no, no. Your attendance at the wedding in your prettiest dress with a gift affirming their unholy union is a tutor to bring them to Christ to be justified by faith. That's what he has said. He has assaulted the fundamentals of the faith. God's sovereignty the sufficiency of God's law, the sufficiency of God's gospel. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Not compromise, not affirming evil weddings that aren't weddings at all. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's foolishness. It's judgmental. It's narrow-minded. It's all that, and God knows it. And yet, it's the power of God to salvation for those who are being saved. What happened to Alistair? How did he forget these fundamental truths? How did he become an enemy of these fundamental truths of the faith? This is not a minor capitulation. All I did was give a little counsel to a grandma. This is a massive capitulation. It's a massive assault on Christ's church and the doctrines undergirding it. The sufficiency of God's word, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith does not come through them thinking you're non-judgmental. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith doesn't come through you lavishing faux compassion and faux love on them when in reality you're hating them as you join them in their Romans 1 sin. 2 Timothy 3.15, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Oh no, they need to know your compassion and receive your gift and have your attendance and think that you're not judgmental, lest that push them away from God and they not be saved. 
How about the beginning of knowledge? Alistair trampled the beginning of knowledge beneath his unloving, ungracious feet. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Oh no, them thinking you're not judgmental is the beginning of knowledge. No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Grandma should have said, and Alistair should have said to Grandma, don't you ever go to such a wedding. You let them know you would be afraid too. You would be afraid the earth would open up and swallow them and you with them. Because this is such a travesty. This is such a mockery. This is such a blasphemy of God and His Word and His design for mankind. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Alistair has made himself a fool. That's not a harsh judgment. That's reality. And he would have Grandma make herself a fool and all of us with her. And he'll rebuke us if we won't be a fool with him. Now, I still believe... Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I still believe the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I still believe that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. I still believe that the word makes men wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, and I still believe this. I still believe that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus said it was, Alistair Begg. For that ministry the true ministry of the Holy Spirit, was also put beneath Alistair Begg's unholy, unloving, uncharitable, ungracious feet. John 16, verse 8, Jesus speaking, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Oh, the last thing you'd want to do, Grandma... It's have him think you were judgmental. Have him think you were aligned with God's judgment, making right judgments, and calling him to, Jesus' word, repent and believe the gospel. Mm. Bad theology. Bad neighborhood. Bad neighborhood. What is the neighborhood of this sin? Bestiality. Child sacrifice, haters of God, every list of those who are going to hell. In Leviticus 18, 22 through 30, we find this wedding that grandma should attend with a gift sandwiched between bestiality and child sacrifice. And they're all called what? Abomination. Are Alistair Begg and those supporting and defending his morally and theologically bankrupt counsel to a grandmother ignorant of the biblical neighborhood in which a man marrying a man is found? If grandma should in fact attend the wedding of her grandson to another man in a dress and bring a gift, then she should attend her granddaughter's child sacrifice, boast my abortion party with a gift. If grandma should go watch her grandson kiss a man wearing lipstick and a white dress and hear them pronounce man and wife, then when her granddaughter announces that she plans to marry the family dog, she should go with a gift card from Petco. After all, Alistair has well taught us that the fear of God is not the beginning of knowledge. God is not sovereign in salvation. The Bible does not make men wise for salvation. The law of the Lord is not perfect and does not convert souls. The gospel is not the power of God to salvation. And Jesus did not send the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. A moral, theological, an evangelistic revolution has occurred. Alistair 
has shown us that the real key to evangelistic success is to let them know that we don't in any way countenance their life choices and then to affirm them with our attendance and gifts so they won't think we're judgmental. It might one day come to Jesus because we didn't come off as jerks. Alistair has taken friendship evangelism to a whole new satanic level. We all owe Alistair Begg a massive thank you for clearing that up for us and easing our consciences when we too capitulate to Satan's perverse, God-hating, soul-damning, Romans 1, Psalm 2 agenda. So the world won't hate us like it hated the Lord Jesus and like the Lord Jesus assured us it will hate us. And so they won't behead us when we lovingly refuse to go along with their perversion of marriage. John the Baptist, you see, had it all wrong. He was harsh. He was ungracious. He was judgmental. He lost his head. Alistair could have really helped out John's ministry, just like he's helping the ministry of thousands of pastors today and grandmothers, too. Bad neighborhood. Bad response. Bad response. Many Christians are responding to the Alistair Begg situation like this. Be wise. Be silent. Just pray for him. Say nothing. Don't be divisive. Be gracious. Don't cancel. Don't be harsh. Don't be judgmental. Don't be unloving. The world will know us by our love for one another. Be careful. Judge not, lest you be judged. Here's a tragic quote from an African pastor in response to this. Quote, Mr. Alistair Begg was not, all caps, wrong, exclamation point. And I guarantee you, there are many, many, many more. Being affirmed and their capitulation that they've already embraced or being compelled to come out of the closet like Alistair Begg just did. An individual by the name of Merle Ruth Russo, responded to my post on social media this week by accusing me of harshness. Quote, harshness and putrid, ungracious words. Now, mind me, I have no ill will for Merle Ruth Russo. I think it's a husband-wife. I love them. I care for them. They went on to exhort me, quote, take a lesson or two from Dustin Binge. Dustin Binge has said nothing about the doorway to hellish apostasy Alistair Begg opened up for all of Christendom to go through. His only response is a seven-point cautionary post with misapplied scripture designed to shame those who are biblically warning and protecting the body of Christ and to tell everyone else to join him in his mature, Christian, gracious, and godly silence. Everything that Dustin Binge wrote, it was true. It just is horrifically misapplied. Hear me, saints. God did not call us to silence in the day of battle, in the place where Satan is sifting mankind and the visible church. God has called us to stand up and speak up with strength, courage, and genuine love. Not this faux love, faux grace, and faux wisdom that would have us perpetually spineless and silent. Here's my response to Merle Ruth Rousseau and all those hyper-gracious, hand-wringing, let's just pray about it, souls. I appreciate that you have the heart to bring correction to what you perceive to be my error. The only, quote, putrid, ungracious words were spoken by Alistair Begg to the grandmother he counseled to go to her grandson's trans wedding with a gift, 
where she will watch her grandson act out as Romans 1, 18 through 32 perversion and hatred of God as he kisses a lipstick, white dress wearing man, where she will hear her grandson and a man pronounce man and wife, where she'll then watch her grandson and the man in a dress he keeps calling his wife drive off in a car with just married, written in the back window, between two rainbows, to begin their honeymoon engaging in what the Bible accurately calls abominable, unnatural, vile passion. Indeed, what Alistair Begg is telling Christian grandparents and parents to endure and participate in is putrid and ungracious. The harsh words were spoken by Alistair when he called every biblically discerning pastor, grandmother, grandfather, mother, and father, who is rightly appalled by his morally and theologically bankrupt counsel and egregious capitulation, a Pharisee who very likely is secretly entertaining their own perversion. I have written what I have written out of love for Christ's church. One further bad response to Alistair Begg's false teaching and assault on Christian grandmothers, their grandsons, Christ's church at large, biblical morality, and essential biblical theology must be spoken to. And it's that of John MacArthur and the Shepherds Conference. I've attended the Shepherds Conference for well over 20 years. The only year in my entire ministry I missed it was the year that my youngest daughter was born, 21 years ago in March. And that year, I went down to sit under Pastor MacArthur and Dr. Steve Lawson in the Expositors Institute with just a handful of men in the boardroom there in the Master's Seminary, the final day of which was in Pastor MacArthur's home, where in God's providence, Mrs. MacArthur sat me at Pastor John's right hand while he was out of the room, so he could come back in and think that I took his right-hand seat. I love John MacArthur. I love the saints of GCC. I'm thinking of real men and women that I see every year. I love the Shepherds Conference and the men from around the world who attend that I've had the pleasure of fellowshipping with for over 20 years. But truth is not triumphing with ShepCon 2024's Truth Triumphs Conference. Compromise is triumphing. Alistair Begg and John Piper never should have been invited. There has been a significant compromise of truth. An article titled Shepherd's Conference Removes Alistair Begg has been widely circulated and celebrated as a tremendous response by John MacArthur and the Shepherd's Conference. The article and its title are misleading, and many are being misled. If you're a genuine Christian, you're biblically literate, you love Christian grandmothers, and you love their grandchildren, then you're relieved and glad to hear Alistair Begg will not be speaking at the Shepherd's Conference. But let's be clear, Alistair Begg wasn't removed from the Shepherd's Conference speaker list. He wasn't rebuked. He wasn't called to repent. He was allowed to voluntarily withdraw so as to avoid, quote, an unnecessary distraction. This falls significantly short of the essential biblical correction that Alistair's morally and theologically bankrupt counsel to Christian grandmothers, his Sunday night sermon defense, and his ongoing stubborn unrepentance necessitate for the protection of sweet Christian grandmothers everywhere, Christ's church at large, and the fundamental doctrines Alistair and those publicly and privately aligning with him are trampling beneath their, quote, compassionate feet. It is not enough to say that John MacArthur and Alistair talked and decided the controversy would be, quote, an unnecessary distraction. It is not nearly enough to say, quote, Pastor MacArthur's counsel on that issue would be completely different from the counsel Alistair Begg said he gave an inquiring grandmother. So both agreed that it was necessary 
for Pastor Begg to withdraw, unquote. A milquetoast, face-saving, mutually agreed upon, voluntary withdrawal to avoid unnecessary distraction response while Alistair's face is still on the Master's Seminary website as a guest lecture as it is right now. Alistair Begg is a guest lecturer, meaning he's a professor at the Master's Seminary training up future pastors. This is not nearly enough. To be clear, Alistair Begg never should have been invited to the Shepherds Conference in the first place. He has long been a compromised TGC, the Gospel Coalition, man. He partnered with Tim Keller in life. Tim Keller was an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who got his start, his foundation in neo-Marxism in the Frankfurt School of Teaching, who's as woke as they come. He in life, he is now deceased, he in life was the champion of the woke movement in the body of Christ, a champion of the social justice movement in the body of Christ. He's significantly compromised with Roman Catholicism. He is an enemy to the ministers of the gospel and the genuine church of Jesus Christ. I don't have time to provide the quotes to establish that, but they are readily available on the internet or in an excellent book titled The New Calvinist Changing the Gospel, the second chapter. So to be clear, Alistair Begg never should have been invited to the Shepherds Conference in the first place. He has long been a compromised TGC man. He partnered with Tim Keller in life, arguably the most influential woke social justice false teacher in evangelism. He glowingly memorialized Tim Keller in death. He shared the pulpit with Beth Moore at the National Preachers Conference. In addition to having Tim Keller as a speaker at his Truth for Life Conference, Alistair Begg regularly platformed David Robertson there as well. Robertson is a counter-reforming, pope-loving wolf. His most recent compromise of truth is consistent with his pattern of life and ministry. It is not an anomaly. Alistair's colossal capitulation is not a mere difference of opinion on how a grandmother should be counseled. It's a major departure from non-negotiable Christian doctrines and morality. It is in accordance with the global LGBT apostasy, Romans 1 uprising, plaguing Christianity and mankind. His defection in this day of battle, precisely where the battle is the hottest, where all of Satan's deceptive devices are fully deployed, must be addressed with full biblical clarity, biblical strength, biblical public rebuke, biblical call to repentance, and a biblical warning to all that thoroughly exposes his false teaching and the dangers of this kind of incremental apostasy on an individual and corporate level. Love of Christ, his church, his word, his law, his gospel, and a planet full of perishing sinners demands it. John MacArthur rightly and very publicly told Beth Moore to go home. There's been a chorus of men endlessly telling her to go home ever since. John MacArthur rightly identified the woke social justice movement as a major threat to Christianity and the gospel, perhaps the greatest threat in his entire ministry. He rose to the occasion and led the movement that resulted in the creation of the Dallas Statement, the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. And I and 17,000 other men signed the Dallas Statement enthusiastically in defense of Christ's church and gospel. Alistair Begg did not sign the Dallas Statement. Alistair Begg shares a pulpit with Beth Moore, Tim Keller, notorious woke social justice false teacher, and David Robertson, Romish heretic. Alistair Begg tells a Christian grandmother to attend her grandson's abominable wedding with a gift. It should be profoundly easy. 
for John MacArthur and all the men who have been publicly counting coup as valiant spiritual warriors by taking Beth Moore's blonde scalp again and again and all 17,000 signers of the Dallas Statement to publicly and zealously tell Alistair Begg to go home and to clearly and biblically tell the world why Alistair is not qualified to preach at the Shepherds Conference to thousands of pastors in what is arguably the most prestigious and influential pulpit on the planet. The title of this year's Shepherds Conference is Truth Triumphs. Truth only triumphs when we are consistent in its proclamation and application. Hypocrisy is poison. It must be noted that John Piper, a non-cessationist, proponent of errant an errant gift of New Testament prophecy, platformer and defender of Mark Driscoll, pulpit and platform share with Beth Moore, non-signer of the Dallas Statement, ministry partner with Timothy Keller, memorializer in death of Timothy Keller, speaker at TGC's wildly woke MLK 50 conference, should never have been invited to preach at the Shepherds Conference and should be immediately told to go home with a clear biblical explanation of why. Tragically, thus far, Pastor MacArthur's response, Grace Community Church's response, Shepherd's Conference response, has not been the essential, necessary, biblical response that they must give for the love of Christ, for the love of his church, for the love of truth, and for the love of perishing sinners. We will continue to pray that we see that biblical response in the coming days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your clear word that is indeed a lamp to our feet in this hour of darkness. Protect these, your precious saints. Protect their children. And Lord, may they be ministers of this truth to their friends and families and neighbors that are perishing without it. Strengthen and encourage the hearts of your dear saints, Lord. May we stand on the rock who is Jesus Christ in the strength of your spirit with the full armor of God on, the shield of faith on one arm and the sword of the spirit in the other hand, fighting a good fight, not fleeing on the day of battle, not sounding retreat, not being silent, fighting a good fight in love for Christ our King. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.